part is reminding you that Jesus and God are right there with you in the middle of your storm, fighting your battles for you and going before you to change all the details and to make everything the way it needs to be, to teach you what you need to be taught in this season and to get you through this battle to come out victorious so you can tell your testimony and give them all the glory. Thanks for joining me. This is Light in the Dark. So I'm going to be telling my testimony and I'm about to wrap it up in the next two episodes. Thank you so much to all those who have been listening and participating in the chats on our Facebook group and just sharing the love and being so supportive. I've got family that's been so, so supportive and I'm thankful for that because this is way out of my comfort range. If you know me personally, you know that I pretty much hate talking about myself and the deep feely things. So this is doing what I really typically don't like to do, but here we go. So I went through my childhood and into my teen years where I broke out of some physical and spiritual bondage and started a brand new life and a brand new wonderful season. And my father and I got to move to a city where all of our family lived and where our home church was. And it was just blessing after blessing. Got to move into a brand new house, got to graduate from a high school that I never even dreamt I would be able to go because I'd have to be in that town and there was no way I could get in that town but God. So after um, a few years of amazing Winterfest memories and church youth band memories and just family holidays and just a magical period of life through high school up till graduation. So a little backstory. As soon as I really started getting into like middle school, my grandmother wanted me to go to Lee University. And if you don't know about Lee University, it is a Christian liberal arts university in Cleveland, Tennessee, about 30 miles northeast of Chattanooga. And I did not want to go to this school. I thought, I'm already a Christian. I don't need Jesus shoved in my face all day, every day on top of actual like academic knowledge and workloads. And I can be a Christian wherever I go to college. No, no, no. I want you to go to Lee University. I really want you to go to Lee University. So I had pamphlets. And anytime anybody from Lee University came to our church, she would be all over me. And just anytime talk of college came up, oh, you need to go to Lee. You need to go to Lee. Granny, I don't want to go to Lee. So it got to the point where um, I was about 15 years old. And dad had to come to Cleveland, Tennessee for a men's thing. And Granny and I went with him so we could kind of make a family vacation out of it. And Granny wanted to go to Lee University just to drive around. No, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. So she said, fine, you don't have to look out the window, whatever you want to do. So we drive there. And I literally, folks, like before you have cell phones, I was reading a book or I was drawing or I was something, but I could care less. I could not care less about Lee University. And I didn't even want to see it because I'm not going to go here. I don't want to be here. This is not for me. So fast forward, it came time to pick out a college and I just still did not want to go to Lee University. So I did what a lot of people do and went to the community college about 30 miles away from the town that we were living in. And this was a good, um, I mean, it was a junior college, if you know what that is, or community college. But a lot of the kids from the area went there because it's the closest school unless you go like an hour, hour and a half away. It was the only option unless you did all online. And back then, online 
complete education just to get a full degree online wasn't really, everybody was still kind of iffy about it, put it that way. And a lot of my friends were going there and just different things, and it wasn't even really people that were in the same major that I was going to be in. So I decided, end of high school, I wanted to be a choir teacher and whatever else they wanted me to do. So high school teacher was definitely the passion. Choir teacher was the dream. So I signed up for all my classes, go to all my enrollment stuff, and about my second day of classes, I mosey onto the music building because I'm supposed to be a music major, right? And none of my classes are anything music related. So I'm walking through the halls and a teacher sees me and they say, are you lost? And I said, well, I'm kind of confused. I'm supposed to be a music major. I want to be a choir director, high school. And none of my classes have anything to do with music. And he said, that's a problem. Come into my office. And he set me up with all the right classes. I got signed up for um, for two choirs and a bunch of music theory classes and sight and ear training classes. If, if you're a music person, you know what all that is. And he basically redid all of my schedule. The next day, I guess, that I went to school, my first day in the choir class. And there's about 30 people, um, some like me, just out of high school, and others are older and just part of the community and part of this group. And others are upperclassmen that are music majors as well. So it's a really diverse group of people. You've got a bunch of guys, a bunch of girls, all different ages. I'm liking the vibe so far. The teacher was pretty new. This was only his second or third year at that school. So he was new and still kind of trying to figure out what he was doing as a teacher, as a professor at college. And so he was younger and had that younger vibe, which was really fun. We could really relate to him. About, I guess, beginning of October, I started making a friend with a girl in the alto section. And for these purposes, I'm going to call her Hannah. So Hannah and I had um, a lot of similarities and a lot of likes and dislikes, and we just really clicked and we started to become friends in class well she finally about mid-october asked if i wanted to go to lunch with her outside of class so i said sure whatever and one of her friends not really friends but an acquaintance a guy that she had been in classes with since she'd been there he wanted to tag along he had some personal things and apparently he went to her for a lot of his personal things to get a girl's point of view. She was the only girl that he really trusted with his his drama to kind of help him out. So she asked if he could go with us. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. So we're all going to lunch and this guy's talking about his girlfriend and how he's just so tired of the back and forth and how he wants to break up with her and they've been engaged before but they broke it off and now they're dating again but he doesn't want to he doesn't really want to be with her and his family's really, really pushing for him to be with her and it just sounded like this big dramatic mess. So we're all jokey and we're all um, good fun natured. So we start having fun and well, we start having fun in class and then it just becomes the three of us having fun outside of class. And ultimately, long story short, me and him become best friends and then we become more than friends, and he's still with this girl, and I am not a homewrecker type at all. He has been the only guy that's had a girlfriend that I've even been friends with, because if you've got a girlfriend, I'm probably not even going to be your friend at that age, about 19 years old, because that's just too much drama. I hate drama. I hate drama. I hate drama. I hate drama. So I try to avoid that scene at all costs, but we ended up falling in love. 
he did break up with his girlfriend. We started going out and then he got to where he couldn't decide between her and myself. And there was a lot of back and forth, push and pull. He really did care about me. He really did love me. And he took me home to his parents for the day um, around springtime. And that was huge because I was the only other girl he ever took home other than the girl that they were wanting him to be with. And they made it very clear they did not want me there and that he needed to be with the other girl. And they still had her pictures on the wall and it totally embarrassed him. And it was just a big mess. So whenever springtime rolled around, um, she had a cancer scare. She thought she had cancer and she wanted him, we'll just call him Benjamin. She wanted Benjamin to be there for her and she wanted him to be her go-to. And his family was really pushing for him to be her go-to because they wanted them together, obviously. Anyway, so he broke up with me and that was a very long, painful month. And we still had a whole like half semester of college classes together where we would be seeing each other most days of the week for several classes throughout the week. So that was going to be tough. And Hannah was a really good friend and she kind of... I know now that she knew more then than what she was telling me. She was both of our friends, so she wanted him to be able to tell her stuff in confidence, but then not tell me, so it kind of got messy. But ultimately, he broke up with her, and we were back together for just a few weeks, maybe two months, and then he broke up with me to go back to her because of his parents, and it was the thing that made sense to do, and... They had this whole vision for him, like he had to be somebody different with them than he actually was. And he could be himself around me and Hannah and our group of friends. And he loved music. He had an engineer brain, so he was brilliant at music theory and different things. Just any kind of math or numbers, difficult things, algebra type, which there is a part of music theory that's like algebra. And he just killed it. He was so great at it. He couldn't be that around his parents and around the girl. They wanted him to be an actual engineer or military. His dad was a big military guy. So they had a totally different plan for him than he wanted for himself. And he ultimately bowed down to their wishes. And that was kind of sad for me to watch. But looking back, the ultimate lesson that I learned that I would pass on is if you know it's somebody who you're not 100% compatible with, somebody who doesn't believe the same as you, He was a great guy, and he was my first love, but I knew that it wasn't going to work long-term. I was 19. It was my first love. There was all that excitement. There was all that drama. Does he want me? Does he want her? All the back and forth, and we had such great times together, and we did have such a special connection, but I knew that he did things that I wasn't comfortable with, and he liked to party sometimes, and he hung out with a rough friend group sometimes when he wasn't with our friend group, and... Just the movies he would watch and different music he would listen to wasn't somebody that I ultimately needed to be with. That wasn't someone that I needed to marry and definitely wasn't someone that I was going to have any kind of ministry with because I've always been called a ministry of some kind, whatever that looked like during whatever season, and I could not see myself doing any kind of ministry with him. Like He needed to get saved and really good saved before we even started to try to do anything like that. So we broke up, and that was such a hard summer for me. Um, I realized then that Hannah 
had known more than she had told me and I felt like she could have been a better friend to me by giving me a heads up or hey he's cheating on you whenever he's not with you he's with her and it's getting hard for him to balance or there's something I don't know but I kind of broke things off with her a little bit she would do these very immoral things that I totally did not agree with and she would cheat on her boyfriend around me and she would have guys spend the night and I would know about it while her boyfriend was gone and just different things. I just didn't like being around that. So her not being upfront really hurt me and it could have made the situation a lot better. I guess she was trying to protect him more than me, which was whatever. But then she also became controlling and once she really started becoming controlling, I was like, I cannot do this. So that's whenever our friendship like officially ended. That summer, my father and I went to Nashville and we did all the museum trips and we did all of the sightseeings and we went to several concerts. So dad's a huge Merle Haggard fan and we got to see the hag. So that was really cool just hearing his music my entire life and then getting to see the legend in person at the Ryman. So that was just part of the fun that we had after after um, our new life got started. But he needed to go to Cleveland, Tennessee for another ministry men's thing. So I wanted to go with him and he knew that I'd been having a rough time with the breakup and we hadn't gone on a trip since our big Colorado trip that I told you about in the last podcast. So it was time for us to take a big trip again and we just spent a whole week in Nashville. It was absolutely wonderful. We had great weather. Um, Neither one of us had spent much time in that city other than just driving by to get to Cleveland. So we got to do all the country music things, which we're really big country music fans, especially at that time we were more then than now. And so we mosey on to Cleveland and we get lost instead of staying on the highway where we needed to be. We had a little turn off and accidentally wound up just into the Georgia line. Um, If you're from Chattanooga or know about Chattanooga, that's the famous split. You either stay in Tennessee or you go down to Georgia and we accidentally went down to Georgia. We popped right, we had breakfast at a little Shoney's and then we turned around and then came back up and then went to Cleveland. And Dad had his little men's ministry thing, and it was a few-day conference, so we hung around here for a while, and he said, I know you don't like Lee University, but I've never seen it at nighttime, and I just want to drive through and see it at nighttime. You can plug your ears, you don't have to hear anything, you can close your eyes, but I want to drive through Lee University while it's dark and see what the lights look like. So, okay, he's been so good to me, and we've done so much. I'm going to be a total brat if I don't just appease him and sure let's drive through campus and folks I have fought against that my entire life up until then like really hard fought like refused to even consider it and we turned off the street and if you know where the the new chapel is built um, it's 11th street we turned off Okoe onto 11th street and I just start crying like I have this unexplainable just feeling and I heard I very very rarely hear the actual voice of God but I heard him tell me it's time to quit running you know where you belong you know what you need to do crap God why like oh I was so frustrated at the same time I was like okay time time to move on God's got different things for me and if I stay where I'm going I'm not I'm not going to be where God wants me to be so I'm not going to be able to do the things God wants me to do This is going to be so crazy, but okay, here we go. So I start crying in the car and dad looks over and says, what's wrong with you? And I said, I'm supposed to be here. 
And he just starts laughing. He said, what do you mean you're supposed to be here? I said, God just told me it's time to quit running and it's time to to be where I need to be. And he just starts laughing at me. So from then on, that started the whole university, um, <laughs> the whole Lee University journey and trying to get me signed up and trying to get me in that music program and just all these different things. If you've transferred from a little school to a big school, that's a big ordeal in itself. But then to travel from a junior community college in Missouri, small town community college, to uh, 500 miles away, don't know a soul, that's quite a big transition. So um, that next February was Winterfest, and it was going to be my last Winterfest with my home church group, and I was preparing to go to Lee and everything. And at Winterfest in the Ozarks, there was this Lee University choir, and they were called Campus Choir, and they totally changed my life. That service was just all worship. We had probably a short, it was mostly worship with just a little bit of a message that night. And just the passion and just the presence of God fell in that place. And it was so crazy. And I thought, man, God, I would love to be in this choir. So now on top of just trying to get into Lee University, I'm going to, I've got this new dream to be part of this particular choir. So spring rolls around, you have to audition to even get into the music program. They don't just let anybody in. You have to already have potential and then see that you can have the, like you do have the ability to do this. So while I was prepping to do this audition, my professor at the community college was helping me and he helped me pick out my audition pieces and everything. And at the very beginning of the semester, I'm still heartbroken. It's still hard to not have Benjamin in my life. And it was just hard to be at that school with all those memories, like just those hallways and those classrooms. Those were our big kid playground. Like that was one of the very best years of my entire life. And obviously first romance, first love. So that was all very, very dear. And it was still very recent. So he asked me, what do you want to do for your audition piece? And I said, well, I'm thinking of Phantom of the Opera. Think of me. It's a song about a girl missing a boy. So he said, let, let me show you this song and see if it would be better, if you like this more. So he starts playing this song. It was called I'm Still Hurting from the musical of the last five years. I had never seen this musical, so this was my very first time hearing this song. And this song is literally... A female singing about how the relationship is over and it was all this guy and this guy basically loved her and left her and how she is just still hurting and she didn't do anything and he was so untrue to her and he just took everything she had and now she's left with all the broken pieces and that is exactly how I felt and this song has very low notes it has very high notes it is an incredible range and it was perfect for my voice. And I could hit those really, really low notes. I could hit the super high notes. Um, with the training I'd had for the last three semesters, my voice was in peak condition. Oh my gosh, I could sing every note of Phantom of the Opera. It was crazy. And I was so ready for this audition. So when audition time came, I, whenever I sang that song, it wasn't just singing a song. It was singing my life story from where I was at at that point in that season, just coming out of that big romance, just coming out of losing the first love of my life. And I sang that song with everything I had because that was my song for a very, very long time. And so whenever I went to audition at Lee University, all of that 
played into it. So whenever I sang for them, it wasn't just an audition piece. It was, hey, this is exactly where I'm at in life, and this is why I'm coming. But they had no idea about that. But that gave me an extra boost, obviously, for the emotional and the vocal parts of that audition. So we get the dates and all the information for the auditions and for the tryouts and everything that I need for that weekend. And it was just a really quick trip with me and dad and we go down to Cleveland and I audition and that was a whole big weekend itself. And <laughs> we always joke about the bush. So at Lee University, there's the music building and there's bushes on the left side of the building. And I stuck my head in one of those bushes and threw up right before my audition. And so he always teases me about the bush. And I audition, and I'd been practicing so hard and had to sight read and all these different things, took a test. So anticipation had been building and building, and I finally got that letter. And I'll never forget going through the mail, seeing that official letter with the Lee University stamp on it, and knowing that it was from the music department. And this is my acceptance letter or rejection letter. I've got everything, like every part of my life is on hold just waiting for this moment. And I opened the letter and I was accepted not only to the university, but to the music department specifically as a music major. So that was absolutely incredible. And we all got so happy. And I think me and dad even went out to eat and celebrated. But that was just so thrilling getting that letter. Before I left, all of my church family, my blood family, my friends, just everybody filled up the little VFW hall in town, and they threw me a big going away party. And I knew about it, and I got to help plan for it and everything, so it wasn't a surprise party, but I just enjoyed that night so much, having everybody that I cared about, everybody that I adored, everybody who was supporting me that was... Um, encouraging me to reach for the stars and to go for my dreams and it was just the perfect night and I'm so thankful for that night. Then whenever we got there uh, the next time it was to move in so it was a very very quick transition but getting that acceptance letter getting accepted into the music program um, it was just so crazy everything happened so fast after I made that decision to follow what God wanted me to do. Fast forward a little bit and get to there uh, move on to campus move all my stuff and moving into the dorm was a real slap in the face because I had never seen the dorms until we moved in. And I walked in and I was like, where's the rest of it? And this was Sharp Davis Hall. So it wasn't the apartment style. It wasn't the townhouse style. It was like dorm with the suite, four girls, one bathroom, two girls per room. And it's like a regular size room. So it's very close quarters. Um, no refrigerators, no microwaves unless you bring them. Everybody shares a large kitchen the whole floor down at the end of the hall and then you have to pay for your laundry and just all that fun stuff so that was a real eye-opener and getting all of my stuff I tried not to bring a lot but you always bring more than you're actually going to use and just this is your home now so you want to take all you want to take as much of home as possible with you especially your first year and then especially me this is gonna I can't just run home if I forgot something like you're talking 500 miles that was a big weekend for all of us and I auditioned for campus choir on Wednesday and Friday morning I was supposed to be coming back to Missouri to be part of my cousin's wedding. The uh, results came in on Friday morning and were going to be posted of who made it into the choir and I made it in which is a complete and total miracle because you're not supposed to get into choirs or most typically people don't get into choirs until they've either one been in the music program for a year or two have been 
like just at the school for at least a semester. You don't have to be a music major to be in the choirs, but it's a thing. A lot of music majors do join the choirs. So I was like, I got in, I got in, and rush to Missouri, do the wedding, rush right back so I can be in classes on Monday. Then dad and grand said their final farewell, and that was all sad, but it was in a good adventure too. I had a great group of friends. Um, my sweet mate on the other side of the bathroom, uh, me and her clicked very, very well. And the girl that I was living with and the other sweet mate, they clicked. So we asked if we could change roommates and do a swap. And that was the best thing that could have happened because we just had so much fun. And it kind of replaced the group that I felt like I lost at the community college because we would always do just silly things and we were always just. After class, it was playtime, and sometimes we would drive all the way up to St. Louis, which was an hour and a half, and or we would find some kind of trouble to get into, and it was always good natured. Nobody ever got hurt. Nobody ever went too far with anything, and that's how this group was, so I felt like I kind of got a fun friend group again for the first time after not having one for a whole year, after having one for a full year, <laughs> if that makes sense. So that was be- the beginning of my Lee journey. And campus choir changed my life more than I could ever tell you or more than I could ever say in four hours, much less a few minutes. Just learning how to sight read better, learning how to have just memorize the entire song list. We had about 60 songs and we all had to learn them in a matter of like three days at the very beginning of semester. So that was like, if you can do that, that's an achievement of its own. And that's just what you're expected to do. So so we would go to churches that were completely dead, that hadn't been full of joy or hadn't had any kind of life in it in a long year, in a long time, sometimes years. And we would go in and it wouldn't be us, but it would be the power of God would fall in those church services. And whenever we left, those people had remembered what it was like to actually worship. I'm not kidding when I say sometimes people would just stand up if they stood at all and they wouldn't clap. They wouldn't sing. There would be no sound coming from the congregation at all. And we'd all be like, "Okay, so these people aren't worship people. Why did they have us come here? But the pastors would usually say our church is dead and we need to remember what worship is like. These people need an encounter with God. And God would always come on those nights and it was always so crazy. The service would go on, and by the end of the service, like, that church would have been clapping and singing and people coming up to the altar, and there was just a spirit of joy. Nine times out of ten, there was just a spirit of joy that was not there whenever we got there. And there again, it was not us. It was the work that God did, and there would be healings. We saw several, several physical healings, people not being able to walk or having trouble with their ears or just any physical thing you can think of, basically. People maybe not being able to to speak well, something wrong with the vocal cords. God would heal these people right in front of us. And that was so cool to see that. It wasn't just music. It wasn't just traveling, although we did have some wonderful times traveling. So we had these two Greyhound buses that we traveled on. And they would always be different companies and stuff. The choir did not own them. One time for spring break, I think we went up to Ohio. It was my first spring break there. And we had bus Olympics and bus Olympics were how many college boys can we fit in the bus bathroom? And that bathroom was teeny tiny little bitty thing. But there were 18 guys that got shoved in there. And then there were the luggage racks on top and people, little skinny mini people, lightweight, would be up there and get up in the luggage racks and just hang out and just like lay down. And it would be so funny. Then we did the man wall, so the biggest guy in choir laid down on the ground, 
and all the other guys inquired just like stacked up on him like just laying on top of each other and we got to like 22 high and then the littlest skinny guy in the whole choir climbed up and up above the luggage rack so like we couldn't even see him once he got up there he like just disappeared in the bus ceiling and it was so much fun we went snow tubing we had um, lots of um, mall visits and food court meals and we had a few really cool meals at different places around the country I never got any further west than Missouri and then we did a whole east coast we spent one spring break in Myrtle Beach and we got to like just hang out at Myrtle Beach for two days and actually got to enjoy the beach for a whole day there was just really great memories and then just the prayer meetings so there were prayer meetings on Wednesday nights and the power of God would just fall. We would have our own little worship sessions that lasted about an hour. And that was good for us. Like, that was our time to get poured into so we could pour out. And you just saw people getting delivered from addictions. And just the group, the problems within our group were solved on those Wednesday nights. And whenever it was finals times and we were at our wit's end and we were having a tough time, Wednesday nights is where we got our strength. Wednesday nights was where our prayers were answered. And that was those nights I will never, ever forget. And they were so, so precious. Now, among all of the new things that were going on, um, started school probably middle of August, around, I guess, October 20th-ish of that very first semester at Lee, my mother calls. So she came around for one week, my senior year of high school. And it was just a really, really weird week. I had, I was part of the fall musical or the fall play I'm sorry for high school and so I was doing practice right after school so we didn't spend a whole lot of time together I wanted to spend more than we did but dad stayed with granny so he gave Kathy and I the entire house to ourselves which was really cool of him to do that was a big sacrifice just so we could spend time together and she wouldn't have to be at a hotel and it kept me at home which was a safe place for me but she was just so weird and she would just connect things that really shouldn't be connected Um, She would connect people with like different pieces of Shakespeare and try to tell me how they were similar and just really weird thoughts. And if you know anybody that has schizophrenia that's not medicated especially, their thoughts are totally different. But it doesn't make sense to a normal person, but she makes sense of it, if that makes sense to you. I could just really tell she was getting bad. She drank a lot that trip. That was the first time I'd really seen her actually drink she'd always tried to hide it from me before and she was just chugging little vodka bottles and that was really hard to watch and I had my uh, senior pictures while she was there taken a cousin of ours is a wonderful photographer and he was taking my pictures and I had a I had a Mustang back then and I loved that car and so I was doing my senior pictures with my Mustang and it was this really really exciting time and she was totally wasted and it was embarrassing like she was flirting with my dad's cousin which kind of would have been her cousin her ex-cousin but it's somebody she had known as family for a long time and she's flirting with them and it's like oh man so she thankfully kind of took a walk most of the time while the pictures were going on so it was still a good memory but it was she was there and it was a little awkward at times but that was the last time I had seen her so that one week in senior year and now here it is two years later she calls And we hadn't had conversations, but maybe once every six months up till then. And sometimes she would call and say, Brittany, they they took me off the streets and they shocked my brain. They put me in the electric chair. And she would just say all these awful things. And 
with her having schizophrenia, I don't know how much of it was real and how much of it she thought or what was actually happening versus what she thought was actually happening. So the electric chair, I don't think they put her in an actual electric chair, obviously, but they might have like taken her to a mental facility and tried to do some kind of brain shocking therapy. She would always just be so afraid and just all these awful things happening to her. And this is the first time I've talked to her in months and this is what she's saying and it's all these horrific things about her and even things that we had talked about our last phone conversation she had totally forgotten about and she was just in complete and total survival mode and it would be this rush of five or ten minute conversations and then I wouldn't hear from her again for a few months. So that was really hard to deal with so whenever she called again I was, oh no, like our dad's not here and dad is the one that always, always, always calms me down or helps me verbally process through whenever she calls because I need that processing because it's just so not traumatizing to talk to her, but it brings up all the trauma from my childhood. He wasn't there and she's calling and she her voice sounded normal. Like I'd gotten used to her slurring and kind of talking crazy and not being quite right in the head and her ideas being very off. Her entire speech was different. She sounded more grounded. She sounded like she had a level head. So that was really different. And she talked about having an apartment and she was still in Denver or near Denver. And she had an apartment now, so she wasn't homeless. And she had her a little part-time job and she had gotten connected to a some kind of government assistance where she was getting paid and on disability and it sounded like she was getting her life right. And that gave me such hope. Maybe we can have a relationship now. Maybe I can actually have a mom. Maybe this could be our new start. So I talked to her and I gave her my phone or she gave me her new phone number. She still had my previous phone number. That's how she got a hold of me. And we start talking a few times a week and this is all very new and I'm blissfully optimistic because this is my mom and I've always wanted that relationship and I'm older and she's older and she's talking more rational than she ever has before so that's all good things Um, in high school there was a lot of women in church that either one wanted to get close to dad and used me as a way to get close to dad or they saw me without a mother and they wanted to step in and be that mother figure but no one ever stayed Between having uh, Moira, Kathy, and just the experiences with women I'd had as a child, I did not let many women in my life. There was an older lady in particular at our church that tried to take me under her wing. And oh, she told me straight up she wanted to be my, she wanted to be the woman I could go to to have talks or she could be there for me. And she wasn't interested, she was married, she wasn't interested in dad. So I didn't feel like I was being used like that. And she just wanted to be there for me. And and anytime I wanted to have lunch, anytime I wanted to go shopping, anytime I wanted to just have girl time, I want just give me a call, she said. And she wanted me with her grandson. When she realized that me and her grandson weren't gonna work, she stopped talking to me. And she didn't she stopped calling and checking and we didn't do anything really. I went to her house a few times and we talked, but that was about it. Um, So I felt kind of used, and that had happened with several women. Several different people were trying to help, but then, ooh, this is a lot messier than I thought it was. It's not just her mom's gone. Like, there's some trauma here, and I don't know what to do with all that, and they would up and leave. 
So I just had this part of me that didn't like women. Women were either one after dad or two going to use and abuse me. And if they didn't abuse me, they were just kind of here for the week and gone next week. There was no one stable. Gran was the only stable female in my life. All through childhood and then into my late teenage years, she was the only one reliable. And even some of my girlfriends stabbed me in the back and hurt me really bad. And I just did not feel comfortable with women, especially new women that I didn't know very well. I felt perfectly comfortable around my father and his friends and all of our guy cousins. But with women, I could not go to women's retreats. I could not do women's dinners. Just a room full of females, just even thinking about it, just about gave me an anxiety attack. So in my high school days, there was a an older cousin. She was just funny and she was smart and she was so full of the spirit and she was just who she was. She didn't try to be anybody and I am so drawn to those kinds of people who aren't trying to be the best or aren't trying to be popular. They're just them and if you like them, awesome. And if you don't, then you can look for somebody else to hang out with. But I absolutely adored her and her being family took a lot of the pressure off too. So I already felt very safe with her. Her husband was great and just the three of us would have so much fun together and they kind of became my uh, adopted parents, I would call them. I'd go over to their house and spend the night and watch movies. I became friends with their fa- like their immediate, very close family. We'd go on vacations together. They took me on so many of their vacations. Oh my goodness. She was really the one to break me out of, I hate women, I hate women. Women are gonna hurt me, women are bad, women are evil, women always have alter- ulterior motives. Cause that's just what I grew up feeling and thinking and those are that had been my experience with women before so my cousin Julie was really a big part of getting me out of that um, victim mentality with all women and her doing that for me became such a huge step in a healing process and then there were other women who I still had my guard up against and I was still very 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 careful of women at that time Um, Julie was one of my favorite women, Granny, obviously, and I had other women that were family that I wasn't eerie of, but anybody that just kind of popped up and wanted to get really close really quick, that rubbed me the very wrong way. But I was so thankful to have Julie in my teenage years because I would talk with her about boys or I would talk about things that I would talk about a mom figure with, and I never felt like I had to call her mom, and she didn't take place of my mom, but she was that older female that wasn't old school Granny, and i could talk to her and that was just such a major blessing. I had to say all of that to set up where I was mentally and emotionally with women because talking to Kathy again was like letting a new person in or letting somebody back in that had hurt me so bad and had traumatized me as a child and just only bad memories with her. So starting to talk to her and seeing that, hey, she's a little different or she's a lot different it brought a whole history of emotions with her. So in talking with Kathy, it kind of brings up all these trust issues and all these um, childhood memories with her and just trying to open myself up or am I going to open myself up with her? And I did. And for the next three years, things just spiraled out of control. Long story short, it started off with her drinking more and more and more. So the first time she called me, she hadn't been drinking. First week she called me, she was happy to be hearing from me and happy to be talking to me. So I guess she really cleaned up. 
But then about a month in, or a few weeks in, not even a month in, she's drinking all the time. Really, really bad drinking. And she started calling at 3 and 4 in the morning, just talking off her head. She would have boyfriends that she'd be drunk with, and she would call me while they were having sex just to let me know that she has a new boyfriend. But she's calling me during them having intercourse, which is pretty traumatizing. (laughs) It was like not the phone call you want to get, especially at like two o'clock in the morning when you have class the next day. And now I'm up and I'm worried about her because she's drinking and is she going to get hurt? I don't even have any idea who this guy is. Sounds like a creep already. And just, it was really weird. Just she put me in a lot of bad situations just from phone calls. Um, later she would be drunk and her new boyfriends would be hitting her. She left me this one voicemail one time. He's hitting me and I can't get away from him and help. And I could hear him literally slapping her and I can hear her crying out and I can't do anything. I don't know where she is. I don't know who she's with. And anytime I tried to call her back, she wouldn't call me for that particular instance. I kept trying to call her back to see where she was and to see if she was okay. And I didn't hear from her for a week. So it was just really, really odd. Thankfully, the Lord put her caseworker, her social worker, in my path. Caseworker called me, said, hey, your mom gave me your number. So I finally had somebody to um, be there as a physical body with her. Because up until then, it had just been me and her talking And me completely helpless to do anything for her or help her or be there for her in any way. The way she left and abandoned me kind of gave me the feeling, I don't want you here. I don't really, you're not a priority. I don't really want you super close to my life. Like, how much do you help somebody? Well, I've had that vision and that dream of having a mom my whole life. So I just help her as much as I possibly can. And it ends up resulting in my grades are going down the tank. And I don't sleep well at night and she just keeps getting in worse and worse situations. She was, she's not homeless, but she was running with a homeless community and just kind of being friends with them. And she had a guy there that she was really close to. I don't know a lot of details there again. So just all the wondering and just seeing half of everything she told me, just seeing one side of it or just seeing, getting one little piece of the puzzle and it's not even really a full piece. So I did that for about three years, and finally I was depressed. I was losing my hair. I didn't want to have close friends because if you are around me any matter of time, you'll begin to see Kathy in my life, and I was really embarrassed, and I didn't want anybody to see that. I met a guy in choir my first semester in choir, And we just clicked. Like, he was so much fun. And we just had, very again, like Hannah, so many similarities. And we just loved being together and being around each other. And it was just friends. Um, Later on, I wanted there to be something, but he didn't reciprocate. So we just stayed friends for a long time. And we did everything together. We'd go everywhere together. We'd do everything together. Everybody thought we were going out. And he had kind of a crazy family. So I let him in seeing that, hey, this is somebody who knows what crazy is. And we can get through this crazy together. And he just helped me through so much of this crazy Kathy period. And he understood it all and I could talk to him and there was no judgment. We had fun together when we wanted to have fun and whenever we needed a shoulder to cry on or stress on or whatever, that's exactly what we were for each other. So that was just 
a godsend having him. He eventually graduated and moved back to his um, hometown and got married and all of that. And we lost track, we lost touch, but it was just a really, really big part of my college career having him and just all of our adventures we even went to each other's homes a few times during breaks and had these crazy road trips so it was good memories so not long after he graduated there was it was either mid the next midterms or the next round of finals and I was just so stressed out something that I had been dealing with ever since I moved away from Moira and her family were nightmares So the nightmares that I had started as soon as I moved out, and they would always be about Moira keeping me from dad or keeping me from doing what I wanted to do or something being really important to me and her just being in my way or her like emotional mental abuse towards me. And I've mentioned that before. So whenever I would get like midterms or something just super duper stressful pop up and whenever Kathy came into my life that was stress all the time I would have these non-stop dreams just like nightmares and I wouldn't sleep well so I was exhausted all the time and I would just have these constant dreams so I thought okay it's time to go to the counselor's office on campus and so I went there and little did I know it was actually like counseling students Um, it was illegal, like I didn't know that, and not really illegal, but they, they weren't covering all their bases legally. The students that they had practicing counseling, um, should not have been allowed to be alone with clients. There needed to be someone superior to them helping out with these counseling sessions. So the kids were learning, they didn't quite know what they were doing, and I went to ask about, hey, is this PTSD? Because I'm pretty sure I have PTSD. I told them just like the five minute version. Hey, had a stepmom. She was mentally, emotionally abusive, had mom mentally, emotionally abusive and alcoholic. And I've just been having these dreams of like things that kind of happened or similar situations. And then they get a little twisted in dream world. But do I have PTSD, do you think? And she said no. So I thought, okay, whatever. And I I misdiagnosed myself. Usually I was pretty good at diagnosing myself with different things. But she said no, so that kind of ended that bunny trail. Several more weeks go by, and I'm trying to help Kathy, and I'm trying to muddle through my classes, and I'm just trying to keep everything floating. I'm trying to keep all the boats floating. I'm trying to keep all the ducks safe. I'm trying to keep all the pages in the book, you name it. I was trying to do it. And she just kept getting worse and worse and worse mentally. She gets to a place in her mental state where she and I will have a conversation, say, on a Monday afternoon, and on Tuesday, I'll say, hey, remember when I told you such and such? Well, this is what happened, or um, I had a test. Remember my test? This is my grade that I got on my test, and she would have no idea what I was talking about, so anything that was spoken about in any previous conversations, she could not remember during the current situation. Like, her memory was just completely gone. And that became very difficult for me to have a relationship with somebody that can't retain what I'm saying. I guess a lot of people with Alzheimer's family and people with mental issues feel the same way. But with my relationship with Kathy, 
I kept telling her, mom, you got to clean up. You got to clean up. You can't just be drinking all the time. And your life is not going to be any better until you make changes. And you got to make changes and start hanging around with good people and quit throwing yourself at every guy that comes at you. And she just wouldn't do it. She, no, 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 the alcohol helps with my, with my problems and it keeps the voices down and da, 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 da. And I said, well, did you try going to a doctor? Like, can you go to a doctor and tell them, hey, I need some medicine? Because if you take your medicine... Those voices might go away and I'm trying to be the parent and I'm trying to take care of her and I'm trying to muddle through college life and just deal with her and it was absolutely draining and it was absolutely tiring. I couldn't I couldn't bond with her and then she would get mad at me for some things like if I if I didn't call her right back and it would just be random like she usually doesn't care if I called her right back or not. She would have little freak outs about random things. Um, if she didn't care about this last week, this week she really, really cared about it. If I talked about this particular thing, she was fine with it one day. And then the next time I would talk about it, she would have just a totally mental break and get really mad and angry and frustrated about talking about that particular topic. So she was very unpredictable, very childlike. It was weird for her to be put in all these really bad adult situations, but she maintained a childlike maturity about everything so like I said in previous podcasts she never really got past 16 17 years old it was just hard to even have a relationship with her much less like be killing myself trying to take care of her police would call a lot that was another big thing police would call once a week hey we picked up your mom she was intoxicated in the streets or she was intoxicated at a store or a shop and we're going to hold her for 24 hours. She left you as a contact. She had brothers and she had brothers. She had other family that she could have put as a contact. But she thought they were all against her. For whatever reason, I was the only one that she felt safe talking to or felt safe having a relationship with. And I don't know if it was her guilt or her shame or if she didn't want them to know how bad things were with her. She knew she needed somebody in her own way. She knew. She didn't have the mental capacity to do anything about it or to put herself in better situations, but she knew she needed at least somebody from back home that knew where she was or what she was doing. And I was thankful for that, but at the same time, it would have been really, really great to have someone else in my corner other than dad because she didn't want anything to do with dad. He was the one who tried to get her to continue taking her medicine and she did not take her medicine and that is what caused all of this. So fast forward to um, 2011. This would be going into my second year of Lee. I've already told about the campus choir and friends that I'd had beyond this point, but just to give you a timeline. 2011, I had all my things packed and I was ready to go back to school. I had two days left, folks. Two days in Missouri until I was back at home in Tennessee at my college with my friends, back to normal life. And... I broke my ankle on a four-wheeler accident. Gonna just bypass all those details. And so the four-wheeler accident set me back. And my ankle was completely shattered. They told me I would never be able to run long distance. I would never be able to dance if I was a dancer. I would never be able to do all these things because my ankle was so bad. It was obliterated. Um, the Your ankle bone, basically. Mine was completely shattered in thousands of pieces and the two bones on my foot had actually both snapped my foot dislocated from my leg for a brief moment 
So that meant a lot of surgeries. That meant a lot of um, time delayed getting back to the university. I didn't actually get on campus until very beginning of October. And that's whenever me and Kevin were best friends. And he took such good care of me. He would roll my little wheelchair over to the cafeteria or help me carry my books or whatever. And I was doing physical therapy and I was on crutches part of the time. So I was on campus for two weeks before I had a hematoma and had to be rushed back to Missouri for another surgery and didn't get back onto campus until the end of October. So I was basically starting all of my classes in person like a month before finals. A lot of teachers saw that I was struggling anyway. I'd been struggling before due to Kathy, but they didn't know all of that. And they all had a secret meeting that I didn't know about. And finally, one teacher came up to me and was like, listen, we don't think the music program is right for you at this time. We see you really struggling and you've missed basically a whole semester. And we've been trying to do your homework at home and you've been trying to keep up with things online, but it's just not working out. So we're suggesting that you select a new major. This absolutely crushed me. So I have a month left of a major that I've just been dreaming about and I've come so far and they just like basically blew my little candlelight out and I cried and I was like, God, I don't know what this is. Like you've, you've brought me this far. Why am I just getting completely cut off? And, and so Kathy calls and she wants to come home. She wants to come to Missouri for Christmas. So I'm on crutches. She doesn't even know. I haven't even told her that I broke my leg or any of that. I've just been playing it really cool and a few little white lies in there just to keep her safe because I didn't know how she would handle the news of me being hurt like that. And so I get back, do my finals, head back to Missouri for Christmas. I had just started walking the week before I went back home. So I'm get home and I'm crying and I'm like all over dad and I'm just like hugs and kisses and I don't know what to do and I don't even want to go back to school at this point I am so done I'm just I'm overwhelmed totally and completely I'm at my wits end I can't even function like my brain just feels like a bunch of static if you're old enough you remember channel three where it was just black and white static that image encompassed everything that I was and then Kathy was coming that next week so she gets into Missouri Um, She came by bus and her brother picked her up in St. Louis, brought her 65 miles south to the town they lived in, which was very close to where we lived. And I spent as much time as I could with her. I didn't spend all day every day with her because obviously there was a lot of tension there. There was a lot of just mixed feelings and I wanted to spend enough time with her where she felt satisfied, but I was not about to spend my entire Christmas break with her. Probably the most aggravating thing about that entire visit was she was fine. Like, she thought she was on vacation. She's going to see her daughter. She's going to see her brothers and her family. And she did not feel the awkwardness. She was not capable of um, coming to terms with, hey, I've really hurt Brittany in the last few months. In the last year and a half, I've really put her through it. She was just whatever that minute held. That's where she was. She couldn't think about anything behind she couldn't think of anything forward she was just living each moment in the moment and she had no concept of the damage that was done or the pain that had been caused or the struggle she had put me through she was just she could have been at Disney World for all she for all she knew that's how she was acting she was having the time of her life but everybody else felt that awkwardness everybody else felt that tension and for her not to feel it 
was so, so frustrating. I was very hesitant with her. I did not feel comfortable with her. She was drinking still all the time, just like she had whenever she came for senior year. She just had little bottles. And we went shopping, and she did buy me a dress, which was really, really pretty, and I still have it, and I still wear it every once in a while. And it was just a little cheap thing, but it was special because it been the first time we'd gone shopping in a very, very, very long time. And we were at the checkout counter, and I'll never forget this. There was this little, maybe five-year-old girl behind us, and Kathy kept looking at her. And the little girl kept looking at Kathy. And Kathy growled at her. She was trying to play, but it wasn't like a playful growl sound. It was like a crazy growl sound. And it scared the little girl, and then Kathy laughed. Whatever you have in your mind, it wasn't like that. She looked at that little girl, and she really put all she had into it. She's like, Rawr! Just like randomly growled at this little girl and little girl got really scared and then she, Kathy laughed and it was just so bizarre to me. I don't know why I remember that, but that, that was just so bizarre and I was so embarrassed. So we had the rest of the week and whenever I first saw her family at the beginning of the week, they were mad at me and they were very distant and they were very short and snippety with me. And one of them pulled me aside and was like, listen, your mom's here for the week. You need to spend all the time you can with her. And you need to try to talk her into staying here and to staying with family. And she doesn't need to be out in Colorado all by herself. And you should have had her back here or you should be out in Colorado to take care of her or something. And I told them, I I can't. Like, I've got my own life and it's just too much for me to handle by myself. And she doesn't want any of you to help her. She's putting all of everything on me and that's not fair. And I'm doing the very best I can. And they said, well, this is your mom. You need to do everything you can to help her. And I knew that they didn't understand the situation. I knew that they thought this was the old Kathy and they had no way they could know how bad she had gotten in the last few years, or even just since I had been talking to her. So by the end of the week, I was ready for her to go home. Um, It was the last time I would see her with her family. And the same person that gave me the little spiel before pulled me aside again. And I'm thinking, what do you want from me? Like, you have no idea the sleepless nights and the phone calls and the worrying and the cop calls and the caseworker calls. And what do you want? I didn't say that, of course, but in my mind, I'm like, come on, just give me a break. You have no idea how hard I've been trying. And he started crying and he apologized and he said, we had no idea how bad she was. And we know you've been working with her social workers and you've been working with people in Colorado to help her. And thank you so much. And we just, we, we have no, we had no idea how bad she was. And now that we see how bad she was, we want her here more than ever so we can help her. But she's not even wanting to talk about moving back here. She, she wants no part of it. Have you talked to her or have you tried to get her to move back? And I told them I cannot control her. She is a total and complete mess. She needs to be here. Absolutely. I would love for you guys to help take care of her and for her to be closer so we can all watch her together. But I've got my own life and I cannot spend my life babysitting her, especially with our past history and especially with 
her unwillingness to change. If she wanted to change, I could throw my whole heart into it or continue throwing my whole heart into it. But she is obviously unwilling to change. She doesn't see that there's a problem with the way she lives her life and she thinks there's nothing wrong with her lifestyle. And until she can admit that there's a problem, there's nothing I can do. And I've been working with her for a whole year and a half and there's been no change. Things are only getting worse and there's only so much I can do by the phone. I'm not moving out to Colorado and if I keep just this relationship going with phone calls only, this is the only result we're going to get. So unless one of you guys want to move out there, she's not going to move here. I'm not going to change my life to appease her. And that's just where we were. But he apologized and it felt so good to finally have them understand what I could never begin to describe. It's something you have to see for yourself, something you have to experience for yourself. They got to see it. They got to experience it. Then they knew and they understood where I was and why I couldn't do more than I was doing. So that kind of ended um, my my anxiety over seeing her again, one, and two, having them over my head, her family, and them wanting me to help her. Between my transitions from one season to another and heartaches over first loves, uh, crazy moms, friends that come and go, I love Medea's tree analogy where she said some friends are like leaves on the tree. They come and go every on different seasons, but some friends are like the trees themselves and the trees are firm and they stay no matter what. And I've been blessed to have some friends that are firm and stay no matter what. And I've had friends that are like the leaves, but I've learned to enjoy each season as it comes and to let go of each season whenever it's clear that the season is over. If you try to hang on to seasons for too long, it'll keep you from what you're supposed to do next. And you have to have stair steps. You can't just stay on the same step for too long. Um, There's new lessons. There's new things to learn. There's new achievements and new heartaches with each stair step. And to stay on the same one, you're cheating yourself out of the unknown future. And the unknown scares a lot of people, but it could be better than what you're thinking. So many people focus on, oh, it's going to be so bad or all these bad things could happen. But what if your dreams come true? What if the thing you've been waiting for, the thing you've been praying for happens in that next season? You just always got to keep looking forward. Don't get stuck. Don't get hung up on the misery of the current season. I wanted to get hung up with Kathy's season so bad because it would have been so easy just to, well, my mom abandoned me. I obviously not enough motive. Just having a daughter and loving your daughter is not enough motivation to change your life. And after rejection, and I gave you another try, and you do all these things all over again, but now it's worse and it's more difficult because I'm an adult and I understand fully what's going on and this hurts even more in some ways and in other ways it just brings up the past hurt. But you got to move on. So the next podcast episode is going to be about me moving on and about just another season of open doors and another season of coming out of sadness and into the light. And I would like to just point out that my ankle did heal up completely and I ran several 5Ks and there's even a year coming up that I'm going to be talking about where I would run like three miles a day, three or four times a week. So that's one huge testimony. And I'll talk about graduating Lee and all that fun stuff next time. 
So thank you so much for listening and hearing the the good and the bad of this. I know there's a lot of deep stuff. This was such a hard podcast to record because it was a lot of deep, uncomfortable memories, a lot of deep, uncomfortable feelings and thoughts and things that I don't like to think about, things that I kind of keep in that little drawer way, way, way in the back of my mind, but took them out. So maybe you're going through something similar or have gone through something similar. I know there's a lot of people that struggle with uh, parent drama, whether they're the ones that cause the drama or their parents, the one that caused the drama. There's a lot of that today. And I'm praying for you. And I hope that your parental conflicts and issues clear up in one way or another, or that God just gives you the grace and the knowledge to know how to proceed each new week. And with things like this, you just have to take it week by week. You can't take it day by day because the days just start getting all together. I don't know. I won't say that. But you can't just, you got to take it as it comes. And you can't hold on to stuff. Holding on to stuff will make you bitter and will make you angry. And that's not what God wants for you. So please like, review, comment, however you can. Um, I want to try to get this podcast out a little bit more if you wouldn't mind sharing it in some way. Uh, copy the link from wherever you're viewing it, either on a podcast or online somewhere and share that. And I encourage people to share their testimonies on the comments and on the review section. So may the Lord keep you and bless you and guide you and go before you and behind you and all around you. And I will see you next week. Bye.